Hello and welcome to the show, Unbossed. So glad you are here on this fine Friday afternoon. And I have a fantastic co-host with me today. I have Mike Figueroa from the Humanist Report. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I am great. I'm glad you're wonderful. Anything you want us to know about what is happening in your world on your show? You know, just the same subjects that you all talk about that cause my brain to suffer greatly melts. It's just it's it's toxic, but it's it's cathartic to see other people talk about it as well because I feel like it makes me feel more sane. It makes me feel more grounded to know that I'm not suffering alone here. So I'm I'm happy to be here. No, you are not suffering alone, and you have a new show with a group of bad a leftists called leftist mafia how how tell tell us about that yeah so the leftist mafia is a bunch of people from indie media it includes myself david dole of the rational national matt bender uh, lance from the serfs illuminati and Olami Oloren, and we all kind of bring our different perspectives and we mesh politics with pop culture. And it's kind of just like a lefty hangout session. Sometimes it's really serious. Sometimes we just talk about television shows, but it's a really great time. And we just finished our seventh episode. It's now available right now, but yeah, I'd encourage everyone to check it out because it's it's a really fun time. It's It's nice to get a little bit of a mental break from all of the politics and just like kick it with cool people. Yeah, I encourage folks to check it out as well. You can check that out on YouTube, Leftist Mafia. And soon they're gonna have yours truly on there too. So I'm so looking forward to joining. That's gonna be a good one. A very good one. On today's show, Mike and I are gonna be talking about the shadow president. He is at it again. That is none other than Senator Joe Manchin from the great state of West Virginia. And corporate crime prosecutions hit a new low. Yeah, from the DOJ, we'll check that out as well. And finally, drama within the right wing pundit community. Who knew? Uh, we're gonna let you know what's popping there. The Shadow President Joe Manchin is at it again. And it makes me ask myself, WTF neoliberals. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. Entitlements then cuts are off the table. Entitlements from the standpoint, when you say entitlements, uh, people look at that differently. They have a different term, depending on where you come from. An entitlement, I don't look at Social Security or Medicare as entitlement. You've paid for those, okay? But on that there, is there ways that we can make sure that we have the finances in order to take care of it? Is there abuse in the system? The people that have earned it and paid for it, but is there other people that haven't, things of this sort? Or is the system basically flawed, hasn't been corrected? This man has lost his mind, really. Some people who don't deserve it. What about the corporate welfare hounds? Do they deserve that corporate welfare that they're getting? Why does Joe Manchin hate the everyday workaday person so much, West Virginia? Mike and I trying to understand why y'all keep sending this dude back to the United States Senate because he really does not care about the average working person in this country. Matter of fact, he has a disdain for them. So that was none other than Senator Joe Manchin, the shadow president, speaking with Fox News at Davos, using the debt limit as an excuse for potentially targeting Social Security. Check out this headline. Advocates say, hell no, exclamation point, bold underline, message in a bottle, baby, as Manchin pitches Social Security deal with the GOP. The West Virginia Democrats said that, quote, we have a debt problem, end quote, and argued that members, that that senator, and signaled that senators should check out whether or not they're gonna cut Social Security, even though the program can't by law add to any long-term deficit. I want you to understand what we are saying here right now. They just making stuff up as they go along. Under the legislation that Manchin has introduced alongside Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, Congress would establish bipartisan rescue committees for the nation's trust fund programs, including Social Security and Medicare, and give the panels 180 days to devise, quote, legislation 
that restores solvency and otherwise improves each. In other words, we're going to cut these programs and the hell with the everyday people who need them. There's something wrong with these folks. Manchin and Romney's legislation known as the Trust Act should be Mistrust Act, Distrust Act, No Trust Act. Is explicitly modeled after the infamous Simpson Bowles Commission that recommended deep cuts to Social Security in 2011. And this is coming from Common Dreams. Now, the man said in his remarks that folks earned that Social Security, but still fixed his mouth, as my grandmother would say, fixed his mouth to say that they still gonna decide whether it needs to be cut. Now, check out this headline. Even though the 2022 trust report shows that protecting and expanding Social Security is fully affordable, you can't make this sugar up. You just cannot. Check out this tweet from Security Works. Hell no to negotiating with legislative terrorists. Y'all better go ahead on Social Security Works. Hell no to even a single penny of cuts to Social Security earned, underline, underscore, bold message in a bottle benefits. Hell no to fast track commissions designed to cut benefits behind closed doors. Social Security Works, we with you. Mike and I are all the way with you. Hell to the gnaw. And a reminder that millions of Americans rely on Social Security. As of 2022, 66 million Americans receive Social Security benefits. And that's not just our elders either. There are people who are disabled, otherly able that receive Social Security as well. And as of October 2022, the average Social Security benefit of $1,550.48 per month. That is not a lot of money. There are 46.7 million American retirees who receive Social Security. Mike, I'm just beside myself. Yeah, it's absolutely infuriating because they're playing with people's lives here. A cut to Social Security could mean the difference between eating and starving. And Joe Manchin admitted it that this is this is not an entitlement. I mean, you are entitled to it because you paid into this. This is your money and they're trying to take your money from you. But they know that this is unpopular, which is why they have to use all kinds of weasel words. If you all remember last week, a Republican lawmaker, Rick Allen, he said, we're not gonna cut social security. But on top of that, he then ended up saying, um, oh, but we will raise the retirement age because people want to work. They want to work more and they have to find some excuse. Another excuse that they use is, well, it's going insolvent. So if we don't do something, then it's gonna go bankrupt and future generations won't have it. That's also not true. The simple thing that needs to be done is lift the cap on taxable income and that's it. The problem is solved, but even in its current state, Social Security isn't going insolvent anytime soon. They'll say, oh, well, by 2035, and then next year it'll be 2036. It's always about 10 years, and then it pays out 80% of benefits. So they want you to think that we have to take action to save the program, but that's nothing more than a guise for them to cut it. They've been salivating over it for decades now, and don't let them. Whenever they start talking seriously like this, people need to understand that this is. A hair on fire moment. Like we need to be screaming at the top of our lungs because this is a lifeline for people. My mom, for example, cannot survive without Social Security. She also has to work. But without Social Security, I don't know how she lives. So, and she's just one person with millions of people, um, you know, in the same predicament. So it's it's infuriating, but these rich people don't care. Joe Manchin, multimillionaire, he has, you know, he's a coal baron. He, he doesn't care, he doesn't even think about the lives of normal people. So it's it's deeply, deeply infuriating to me. Yeah, they, it's, it's, um, it's heartless and it is immoral. And they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. You know, I picture dialing 911, what's your emergency? We being robbed, send help. Exactly. Robbed by whom? People like the shadow president Joe Manchin and Senator uh, Mitt Romney. And anybody else in Congress that believes that we need to cut Social Security. Elders, y'all need to get taken to the streets. You need to mm-hmm. let these folks, y'all better take a page out of what friends did with Mike and I gonna talk about that. Take it to the streets, they try to come for your Social Security. It is one of the most important programs of the 20th century to lift people out of poverty. And Mike just gave the story of his mom. There are millions of people. My dad, same thing, millions of people just like that. These people are immoral. Yeah, they are. But you know what? Joe, Senator Joe Manchin is really just following in the footsteps of a certain someone 
during his time in the Senate. Watch this. Have you been on the floor of the Senate? You were in the Senate for a few years. Yeah. Time and time again, talking about the necessity with pride about cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare, cutting veterans programs. No. You never said that. No. I introduced the balanced budget amendment in 1984. It got nowhere. I'm one of those Democrats who voted for the constitutional amendment to balance the budget. I have introduced on four occasions, four occasions, entire plans to balance the budget. I tried with Senator Grassley back in the 80s to freeze all government spending, including Social Security. Oh, Senator Joe Biden was very animated, animated when he said including Social Security. I mean, he said that was so much feeling. The grand bargain with the Republicans gonna cut grandma and grandpa's social security baby out of his own mouth. So for all the neoliberals who might salivate after they see this clip, the man said it himself. He wasn't set up. That was him talking. It wasn't his stunt double. So there you have it. You can't make this up. And furthermore, Biden's fixation on cutting social security dates back to the Reagan era. One of the Ronald Reagan's first major moves as president was to implement a mammoth tax cut tilted towards the wealthy and to increase defense spending. Biden, a Delaware Senator at the time, supported both moves. So again, the shadow president just mimicking the current president. And Biden has continued to pretend to be a staunch defender of social security as president. But that is revisionist history, even taking credit where it has been not not due, not not been due. Take check this out. Biden has repeatedly noted in recent weeks that Social Security payments will rise substantially in 2023. He has invoked the increase while reciting his accomplishments as president. It is true that the 2023 increase of 8.7% is the biggest in years, but actually. The biggest since 1981, but that's not because of any positive Biden achievement. That's coming from CNN reporting. So stop the exaggeration. Further, the increase is known as a cost of living adjustment or COLA. Why will there be an 8.7% cost of living adjustment in 2023? Because average prices in the third quarter of 2022, as measured by the consumer. Price index for urban wage owners and clerical workers were up 8.7% from average prices in the third quarter of 2021. So in other words, this is not really a raise. Are you hearing me good people? Jesus, Mary and Joseph, that's who I'm calling on today. We need to stop being complicit in our own demise. Michael, I don't know, you know, if, if other folks don't care about their own grandma, own grandpa, their mamas and daddies in the future themselves, I don't know what else is gonna shake these people from understanding that we are not dealing with honest brokers in that Congress or, you know, on in this issue, not even the president of the United States. Yeah, it's particularly scary because. This moment would be a great excuse for someone like Joe Biden. Uh, he can claim my hands were tied, I couldn't do anything. The debt ceiling needed to be rised and I had to agree with what the Republicans wanted. Otherwise, you know, I mean the full faith and credit of the United States is on the line. So this is a really horrifying moment and people really need to pay attention to this. If there's gonna be cuts, Biden has the excuse. It's an optimal moment for Republicans and even the Democrats who don't want to do this, don't want to go through with this. Do they have the fight in them? You know, I just there's so there's so much riding against us currently. And I really want people to understand that this is a very serious moment. And I think that we're probably in more danger of Social Security getting cut now than back in the grand bargain days in 2011. So I just I don't think people understand how serious this moment is. And Americans need to know that once we open the door to cutting Social Security or doing some type of reform, it's only going to get worse from there. You know, they tried this in Chile where they privatized Social Security and it was a disaster. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to privatize it yet, but that's ultimately their goal. It starts by undermining support for it. And once you start to cut it, once you make it less efficient, then you could pitch that to people and say, well, look, it doesn't work. So maybe since the government can't handle it, 
then this private corporation is better suited to handle your social security. This is what neoliberalism is, outsourcing all of the government's responsibilities to private corporations. And they've been wanting to do this for a very long time. So cutting it, if they're successful here, is only the beginning. But that in and of itself is is incredibly damaging. So this story is, is extremely infuriating, and I really hope people are paying attention. I do too, Mike, and we're gonna to continue to cover this. This is truly a 911, as you and I were discussing before. This is a hair on fire moment. You know, I had a boss that I once worked for, Mayor of the City of Cleveland, Mayor Michael R. White, and he used to ask his cabinet all or say to his cabinet, if your hair is on fire, you ought to act like your hair is on fire. If your hair is on fire, you're not gonna sit back cool, calm, and collected. Everybody is going to know that your hair is on fire and you need some relief. But this is indeed a hair on fire moment, and everybody. Lottie Dottie and everybody, to quote grandma again, should be actively engaged in the in this fight. If they do this, there should be some consequences and repercussions for this come the next election cycle. And had the Democrats fought hard enough, they wouldn't have lost the House. See, if they had to put some of that fire and brimstone and venom against Republicans instead of coming for progressives, hello, somebody, then maybe we would not be in this situation. Dire consequences, and Michael, Mike, and I are not making this up. This is a matter of whether somebody can pay their rent, pay their mortgage, purchase their prescription drugs that are too damn high, the rent too damn high, prescription drugs too damn high, eggs too damn high, everything too damn high. And then you got somebody like Joe Manchin, who's a multi-millionaire with a cavalier attitude. Listen, folks, this is real. We need to take it to the streets like they did in France. Corporate crime person. Prosecutions hit a low in 2022. White collar criminals are going unchecked, and 2022 was not any different. In fact, it was worse. Check out this headline Corporate and white collar prosecutions hit all time low in FY fiscal year, folks, 2022. During the last fiscal year, which ended last September, only 4,180 white collar defendants were prosecuted. White collar prosecutions last year were lower than in any year during the Trump administration. Let me read that one more time. I need you to bold it, underline it, exclamation point, message in a bottle on a train and not on Southwest. White collar prosecutions last year were the lowest in any year during the Trump administration. FY 2022 figures are even lower than FY 2020 when due to the pandemic and federal partial shutdown. Federal criminal enforcement activities of all time were sharply curtailed, and we understood that. This after Biden promised to go after white collar criminals with a strategy on countering corruption. Promises made, baby, but promises not kept. Strategy on countering corruption, let's take a look at them. Modernizing, coordinating, and resourcing US government efforts to better fight corruption, carbon illicit finance. Holding corrupt actors accountable, preserving and strengthening the multilateral anti-corruption architecture. All these damn words to say absolutely nothing. Improving diplomatic engagement and leveraging foreign assistance resources to advance policy goals. White House Gov. That's that's just a whole whole lot of nothingness. Just say you're gonna go after white collar criminals, okay? Keep it simple, so Big Mama and Big Papa can understand what you're saying. Because you know what? You know, Mike, I served in the Cleveland City Council with one, a, a giant. I mean, she's not on this plane of existence anymore. But when directors would come to the council table, Cleveland City Council with all kinds of fancy talk, she would say the following to them, that was clear as mud. And that stuff that I just rattled off was absolutely clear <laughs> as mud. Yeah, it reminds me of when you're like an 18 year old and you're trying to create a resume for the first time and you really want to sound professional. So you're like, I coordinated tasks for a shift operations. It's like, just say you were a shift leader. Like you don't need to, you don't need to add all the fluff. It doesn't make it any more substantive. You could just tell that you're trying to BS it. Just, just say it that way, just the least amount of words, that's preferable. But this story to me, it's sad that I feel so numb to it because it's so unsurprising as if we needed more evidence that we live in a two tier justice system. But here you are in case you were still skeptical, we live in a two tier justice system where the wealthy can get away with doing basically whatever they want and poor people get prosecuted for smoking pot. Anything. It's just, it's so ridiculous, but this is the dystopian society that we live in. And I feel like most people are 
privy to this information now that justice is certainly not equal. But for those two of you left who didn't know, well, now you know. There it is, breaking news. Mike just broke news, breaking news. We live in a two-tiered system where the wealthy and well-connected get away with a whole bunch of stuff in this country. We need to break this stuff up. Well, they got an F on this assignment, obviously, and they need to go and talk to a lot of grandmamas about how to make this simple and just go after white collar criminals. And on top of that, criminal referrals for white Collar crimes are often not pursued at all. Let's take a look at this chart. Percentage of the federal criminal referrals prosecuted. And you can see all them lovely numbers right there. Not a, not, not a whole lot. And the punishment these white collar criminals receive is a slap on the wrist, literally. The average prison sentence for white collar crimes such as fraud, like defrauding people stealing their money, is only 27 months, even though white collar criminals can face sentences up to 30 years. These lengthy punishments rarely occur. Far more commonly, these criminals only face small sentences or fines. Michael, that just, just I mean, that's just us. That's the story of America. Welcome to America. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they do this because they know that they can get away with it. They know that they're privileged and they even if they were referred for prosecution, they can afford attorneys. Um, and so because they know that they can get away with it, they do it. I mean, this knowledge, it it changes their behavior, right? I know that I can't walk into a store and just steal a PlayStation 5 because I know they would lock me up in jail. But you know, if I could get away with just taking a, a PlayStation 5, would I? Maybe. But I know that there are boundaries. You know, um, the law treats just normal people different than they treat elites, and that's something that people need to realize. I think part of the problem with America is that we have this idea that maybe we shouldn't be so hard on the rich and elites because I could be an elite someday. It's not going to happen. You're statistically more likely to get struck by lightning or bitten by a shark. You're just you're not going to become a millionaire or a billionaire. Statistically, it's very unlikely. So this is why we need to enforce the laws on these elites. We need to tax these elites and treat them like everyone else. You know, it just I feel like this shouldn't need to be said, but it does need to be said, unfortunately, because when you live in a late stage capitalist society, these things like we kind of come to just accept that this is normal when really we shouldn't be okay with this. We shouldn't be desensitized. We should be furious when we see, when we see stats like this, especially considering um, the white collar crime compared to like immigration and narcotics. Like we see what the government's priorities are. Absolutely, we should be enraged. And look, I mean, Mike, you're absolutely right. Statistically speaking, everybody that's searching to be that multimillionaire and billionaire, look, hey, keep reaching for the sky. I don't wanna crush your dreams, but the light <laughs> is that happening. It's not gonna happen. You're gonna be closer to the poorest person than you are to the ultra wealthy. But even if you were fortunate enough to become ultra wealthy, would you cheat the system? Would you cheat like that? Mm-hmm. Would you want to see a two-tiered system where poorer people get treated differently, where their lives matter less? I mean, really, would you want to be that kind of rich person, or ultra wealthy person? I wouldn't want to be that per- kind of person either. So, you know, look, reach for the stars, but don't be a crook doing it. You know, ride, riding on private planes, you know, starting a newsletter to say that you wasn't the crypto crook that you are, looking at you, Bankman free. Y'all, I'm on the road. I don't have my fire extinguisher with me, so I'm gonna have to find another way to put out the fire. Mike and I'll be back after this. And welcome back to the show. This is my absolute favorite part. I wanna let you know that right after this show, Galaxy Brain. It's coming up with Ben. You don't want to miss that on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash TYT. Check it out. Ben is absolutely fabulous. Now for our comments, we got DJ Dragon. Hey, DJ, love seeing Mike with you, Nina. I feel like you both understand and see the world the way I do. Validation is valuable. Thank you both. Thank you, DJ. Mike and I, we we got you, baby. We got you. And on Twitch, Sam, hey Sam, Nina, looking fly as usual. Thank you, thank you, Sam. This is my biker girl look for the day. <laughs> and Gomez, all hail Queen Nina. 
you know, if we gotta have a monarch, you know, I, I ain't for it. But if if we must, <laughs> Mike, I want to be the queen. I'm gonna just put that out there right now. So thank you, Gomez. <laughs> the first of her name and a protector of truth and fire extinguishers. <laughs> thank you, Gomez, so much. And Winston on YouTube super chat. Nina looking like a revolutionary for love and truth. I know that's right. I, I do got that Black Panther vibe going today. Yeah, you're right about that, baby. Thank y'all all. You know what? I cannot say it enough. And you know, I say it every time after I read your comments. We could not do this. Michael knows as an independent media sort uh, force. All of us, none of us could do this kind of work without you. So just thank you so much for your support of TYT Network. And thank you so much for your support of Unbossed and yours truly. French unions, baby, they know how to do this thing in France. Workers of the world are fed up. People in France are fed up and literally, baby, they took it to the streets. Take a look. What you just saw was over a million people across the country, at France, that is, protesting President Emmanuel Macron's decision to raise the retirement age. Emboldened by the mass show of resistance, French unions announced new strikes and protests on January 31st, vowing to try to get the government to back down on plans to push up the standard retirement age from 62 to 64. Macron says the measure, a central pillar of his second term, is needed to keep the pension system financially viable. But unions say it threatens hard fought workers' rights. You better believe that. Now, listen, America. And Mike, I want you to come in on this earlier. America, the man is raising the age from 62 to 64, and the people of France took to the streets. What is it going to take for us to take to the streets over the foolishness and mayhem that is going on in the United States of America? The French know how to do it, Mike. Yeah, this this leads me to think about uh, the difference between the French and us Americans here. We're reactive, they're active, right? So we wait for the bad thing to happen and then we react sometimes. Whereas they try to stop it from getting that bad in the first place. And I don't know if it's cognitive dissonance to where people don't think it's gonna happen. Or I don't even know if people are just numb and beaten down. And it's like, well, they're gonna do it anyway, so who cares? Um, but just to see everyone take to the streets, it's really inspiring because we're talking about a retirement age of 62 to 64. In the United States, like my father-in-law is trying to retire currently, and he's trying to get that done by like 67 or before 70. Like the reason why there's these differences is because they fought. Like the politicians in France, they're afraid of the people. Whereas the people in America, we're afraid of the politicians. And we've got to change this mindset and get back to this thinking that we are their bosses. They're nothing without us. We pay their salaries. We elect them. Without us, they wouldn't have these jobs. So I want people to reimagine. American politics and American government and understand that you are the boss of these politicians. They're subordinate to you. And so you can be that boss that's just never satisfied and constantly question them, hold them accountable. And we need to do that because if we did, then maybe we'd have a better, better healthcare system. Maybe we wouldn't constantly be worrying about cuts to social security or raising the retirement age. I just, I just want us to learn from the French and, and just revolutionaries around the world who got things done that we, we couldn't accomplish here. There it is. And I mean, 62, 64, I mean, you still spry as heaven. And they like, oh, hold on, you, what you're not gonna do, Macron, what you're not going to do. We're not gonna sit back and let you do this to us. We taking it to the streets. So in a country with an aging population and growing life expectancy, where everyone receives a state pension, did you hear that? Everyone receives a state pension. Macron's government says the reform is the only way to keep the system solvent. They always use that word. Unions propose a tax on the wealthy. Hello, somebody. That's what we need to do in the United States of America. Shadow President Joe Manchin, can you hear us now? 
or more payroll contributions from employee employers to finance the pension system instead. In other words, they just not taking what this man got to say about this. They giving some recommendations on how you can make this right, how you can make this make sense. Or to quote Andrew Yang in another way, you can make the math math, okay? By doing the right thing on behalf of the people. The French ain't playing with these people. And this isn't the first time the French government has met resistance to such policy policies. Overhauling pensions has long been a controversial issue in France with street protests halting reform efforts back in 1995, not that long ago, and successive governments facing stiff resistance to changes that eventually passed in 2004, 2008, and 2010. Now, much like the protests and strikes were, were seen here domestically, these workers are being bitten by the rising cost of living. Inflation is hurting everyone. So Macron's proposal, proposed pension reforms come as workers in France as elsewhere are being squeezed by rising food and energy prices or bills. Nurses and ambulance drivers in the United Kingdom are also thinking about going on strike on Thursday over pay and working conditions. So this, I mean, this is just what it is. And it's happening all across the world. Workers of the world unite. Uh, Michael, any final or Mike, any final thoughts on this? Um, one thing that I want to point out is how the propaganda doesn't work there like it works here because we see the same excuse. Like with Social Security, we always hear that it's going bankrupt and it's going to be insolvent. Um, and I feel like Americans are either complacent or they accept that. Whereas in France, they're getting the same propaganda and they're rejecting it. They're saying we're we're not going to be the ones who take the cut. Tax the wealthy. Like, why do we have to bear the burden of your failures? And so that's really inspiring. And I would like to, just as a personal, I guess, hobby, look at the media environment in France because I'd argue that their propaganda isn't as brazen as it is here in the United States. Yeah, you're probably right about that. And just one more point as we wrap up this segment, I want to remind people of how horrible 2022 was for the average worker. Let's put this up really quickly in terms of striking, violating the rights. The strike grew 63% in 2014 to 87% in 2022, violating the right to form and join a trade union grew from 58% in 2014 to 77% in 2022. And workplace violence grew from 12% in 2021 the 26% in 2022, and this is coming from the World Economic Forum. Man, we got a whole lot of work to do. We need to get on it. France, y'all do y'all thing, baby. We got solidarity with you. Hopefully some of that will rub off here in America. I'm gonna sigh, but I'm not gonna do it. I wanna sigh, but I'm gonna hold my side in. The grift is strong, but it is worth $50 million. Yes, I said $50 million, but not for Steven Crowder. Take a look. Big tech is in bed with big con. The people you thought, the people I thought were fighting for you, a lot of it has been a big con. Now, I'm specifically avoiding naming names or going after individuals in this video because I genuinely hope that those I'm addressing, and you know who you are, have a change of heart. Don't sign, don't sign these contracts. I know, I now know what you are signing out there. I have the luxury of not having to. You know, let me go through this. If any of the major platforms issues a content strike such that Crowder cannot be monetized on such platform, the fee will be reduced by 25%. And then another 20% of it happens on Apple. And then another 10% of it happens on Facebook. And then another 10% of it happens on Spotify. Now, this man's grift is strong, but is it worth $50 million? This dude is sitting up here complaining about get or being able to earn $50 million, he's not even talented. I mean, that is right wing YouTuber Steven Crowder complaining about a $50 million contract with Daily Wire. I mean, he got the pure unadulterated gall. You guys know how I love the crow grandma. This is a brass A monkey moment right here with this dude. He's talking about he ain't gonna name names. No, dude, name the names, you big and bad, go ahead and name the names. Now, Daily Wire is a right-wing media company offering this person who has no talent $50 million. 
and he complaining about it. Now, how did this start on Tuesday? Crowder launched a Stop the Big Con initiative and accused conservative media giants of being no better than big tech and putting profit over the honest defense of conservative values. Are you kidding me? I mean, this Mike, this this has to be a joke. Yeah, it gets even more hilarious knowing that he wanted $120 million over four years. I mean, it just goes to show you why so many people on the left end up becoming grifters because that's where the money is. And I'm not gonna name names here, we can, but like we we know who we're talking about who start off very progressive and now are saying all the things that right wingers say. Um, but it just, this this whole story is really shocking to me um, because he's so brazen. So he is essentially currently setting himself up to be the next Daily Wire. And in order to do that, you have to make this big spectacle. You have to position yourself as the most virtuous uh, conservative untainted by big tech. Um, and it's all part of his next grift. And I looked at the comments on his video. I shouldn't have done that because it killed my soul. And they're all buying it. It seems like they're buying it. They think, oh wow, he really is principled. He really is doing this for us. He's not doing it for you. He's doing this because he wants more money and he's greedy. He doesn't care about you. You're working probably a minimum wage job, if not minimum wage, perhaps a job that you hate with your employer who exploits you, controls what time you have to be there, what you can wear, when you can go to the bathroom. And he's sitting here complaining because he was only offered $50 million. I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, this is why the left has such a difficult time competing with the right. It's not because they're more persuasive. Their message is not persuasive and everything that they say is wrong. It's because it's a numbers game. If you reach more people, if you get your message out there, you're just gonna appeal more people, appeal to more people. So this is just an insane story and I hope that their feud continues because the more that they expose each other, the more that we learn about the inner workings of the right wing grifter sphere and just how much billionaire money is behind that because wow. $50 million, you and I were talking about the rush hour movie, <laughs> you take it away. Where? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Chris Tucker, you know, it reminded me of that scene where he said, $50 million, who do you think you got? Chelsea Clinton? I mean, <laughs> Steven Crowder, you're not worth $50 million. You're you're the fact that he even has a platform is somebody who has that little talent, and I say little talent to be charitable, he has no talent, but he, he's just propped up by billionaires. That's it. That's it. Cunning. And and what was actually in the actual contract? The contract reads like a dream. Four weeks of paid vacation, full editorial control over content, produce a staff to help promote and adapt content, and the right to retain ownership of any content Crowder produces prior to joining the Daily Wire. And this man is fixing his mouth to quote my grandma to complain. And oh, don't forget, $50 million over a four year period with the possibility of an additional $25 million upon renewal. Seriously, dude. Now, Carter complained that the proposal floated to him like the one from the Daily Wire was essentially slave contract. Now, let me straighten this dude out real quick. And I want y'all to hear me and hear me clearly. There is no such thing as a slave wage. Slaves didn't get a wage, you hear me? So uh, maybe making low pay, which this dude's contract is far from low pay, but slave wages. See, he taking this a little too far. And Mike, the fact that you're saying that some folks believe him and are feeling sorry for him, that just tells me how wrong we are in this country. And remember, this was the same guy that tweeted this foolishness right here. Nothing says I'm full of SHIT like a guy literally begging to go back to the NFL after calling it just like slavery. The race baiting grift, not paying as well. You wanna talk about grifting, now he was referring to Kaepernick. How dare he? Now this is me right now, how dare he fix his mouth to say anything about Kaepernick, who has more talent in his pinky fingers nail than this dude has in his whole body. But meanwhile, let's put up this headline. President Biden brags about the numbers, but high inflation especially hurts black and Hispanic Americans. So this stuff is real, it's really real in the field, you know? And now we have the Daily Wire co-founder and co-CEO Jeremy Boring responded and called it out. He called out Crowder as well he should, take a listen, they all fighting each other. 
And how would we stay in business? And Stephen, this is a very important point. Stephen, again, I think the most entertaining, uh, talented person in the conservative movement, I think one of the most entertaining and talented people in entertainment generally in the country today, has, has created a very successful content generation company, a very successful production company. But Stephen's never had to create the company that actually distributes markets and monetizes all of that content. You know, he talks in his video about being one of the only true independent conservative voices. Uh, and I find that incredibly offensive. You know, Stephen, the whole time I've known him, has worked for someone else, uh, has been paid by someone else. That doesn't mean other people tell him what to say. He's a very independent voice, and, and that's good. So is Matt Walsh, so is Candace Owens, so is Ben Shapiro, so is Michael Knowles, so is uh, Brett Cooper. Uh, but Stephen, you know, as much or more than any of them, a very independent voice. But he's not exactly a self made man. Well, you know, some of that stuff you said, I can agree with you. But Stephen coming for you, that's all this is about. He coming for you, he's gonna be your competition. You sitting up here whining and begging this dude, you can pick him a dime a dozen. Ain't nothing special about Stephen Crowder, nothing at all. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the show. Michael did, Mike did that. I know he probably tired of me calling him Michael. I don't know why I want to call him Michael. Mike did that. Make sure you check out uh, the leftist mafia. Make sure you check out the humanist report. He is just a, a fantastic, fantastic commentator. He tells it like it is, baby, straight, no chaser. So, so glad he was on the show today. Now, getting to the comments from TYT members, I am Sock. Billionaires have unlimited money to light on fire supporting the dumbest right wing personalities. You are absolutely correct about that. I am sock. I'm with you. And on Twitch, moving. <laughs> hey, moving. Hello, Senator Nina Turner. I love that back in the day Black Panther look. I know that's right. I don't know. I was just channeling that today. I'm feeling it too. I'm gonna have to do this more often. Let me go and put up the Power to the people, baby. Let's go and take that all away. And on YouTube, Super Chat 7, hey, 7. If recognizing that Nina is divine is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> 7, you know what to say to a, to, a, to a girl. I'm just blushing and smiling from ear to ear. I really do appreciate you. I'm going to keep this. I'm going to frame this. I'm going to screenshot it and keep it. If recognizing Nina is divine is wrong, I don't want to be right. Oh my God, I'm sending so much love to each and every one of you. You know how I feel about you. We love you and thank you so much for your support of our show. And thank you for your support of the TYT Network. You are all simply the best. And I'm even more giddy because I have one of my dear friends. She is like everything. She steps out there. She's an activist. She's a writer. She's an actress. She does it all. I have V with me. And we could not be more delighted. Let me read some of this resume. I won't read it all, but she is the Tony Award winning playwright, activist, performer, and author of the Obie Award winning theatrical phenomenon, The Vagina Monologues. Baby, and I saw The Vagina Monologues. Maybe some of you who are viewing have seen The Vagina Monologues. I think I just like to say the word. Vagina monologues be published in over 48 languages, performed in over 140 countries, and heralded by the New York Times as one of the best American plays of the past 25 years. And that no recent hour of theater has had as greater impact worldwide. And V, you got a new book coming out, and we're going to discuss that a little later, titled The Reckoning. And that will be released on January the 30th. Am I correct about that? 31st, 31st. 31st, January 31st of this year. So we are so excited. So V, we're probably going to have to have a part two to our interview. So I want to put that out there right now. So today is the 50th anniversary, correct, of Roe v. Wade. And the Supreme Court, as we all know, gutted, rolled back the hands of time by dismantling Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs v. Jackson case. And you wrote an article, you've written many articles, but you were fit to be tied over this. And you basically said, you know what, we're not going to sit idly by and let this happen. And you wrote for The Guardian an article, and you really put it out. And I just have one excerpt from that. You said, we will finally, will we finally agree? 
to understand that the struggle for abortion rights is the struggle against white supremacy, is the struggle to end gender oppression and the patriarchy so that we stand by each other when they come to each of our doors. Do you see us any closer to standing by one another when they come to our doors? And why did you frame that as the patriarchy and you threw in very strongly white supremacy? Because we can't separate these issues out anymore, right? I mean, there was an amazing report that just came out two days ago from the Economic Policy Institute, which is really describing the economic of abortion bans, for example, right? And it walks through all the fiscal implications of abortion bans and how policy isn't driven at really by religious beliefs, but rather forms of economic subjugation, right? And I just wanna, if I can just quote what this brilliant woman, Asha Banerjee, who was the author of the report said, abortion has long been framed as a cultural, religious or personal issue rather than a material bread and butter economic concern. In reality, abortion rights and economic progress are fundamentally intertwined. And the loss of abortion rights means the loss of economic security, independence and mobility for millions of people. So of course, these are all connected because obviously, if we look at the abortion ban as an effort to hold back working class people, right, from climbing up the ladder or out of poverty, we know who that impacts, right? It impacts black and brown, women and people and trans people and non-binary people. And all these issues are woven together. And I think we are so used to siloing all our issues in this country. Seeing seeing workers rights over here and women's rights over here and transgender rights over here and black rights. It's one story, it's one story. and. It's coalition building, it's collective building that's gonna give us the power to win these fights, right? So much true that definitely need to build strong coalitions. And V, do you believe that the 117th Congress and this current president did everything that they could? And I'm not talking, we're in the 118th, I'm talking about last year, the last two years actually. Have they Did they do everything that they could to protect Roe v. Wade? No, not at all. I mean, look, if it's your body, if it's your body that's on the line, if it's your body that is being forced to have a baby um, that you don't want to have, that you have no desire for, if it's your body that is knows that has a baby inside you that will die in, in the course of the pregnancy and you don't want to carry it, if you have a baby inside you that got there from rape, if you have a you know how serious this issue is. And you know the impact of that issue and you know you will fight for your life. You will go to any extent, any extreme to make sure we have those rights. I have not seen that energy. I have not seen that energy coming out of the Congress. I have not seen that commitment, even though it is many people who were rising for abortion rights that put a lot of those people into Congress, right? And yeah. got that president elected. And you know, it's it's what always happens, right? We do the work of getting people there and then they forget about who we are. And there is so much more everybody could be doing because 85% of this country supports abortion rights. It is a fringe minority that has taken over the Supreme Court, two of which are sexual predators themselves. The rest and several others put there by a sexual predator who are determining the rights for millions of people, the rights of our bodies, the rights of our futures, the rights of our economic well-being, the rights of our healthcare, all of that. And I think if 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 it's your body, you're going to feel really differently about it. And you know, V, I mean, I don't just don't know how much freedom one has when you cannot control your own body. And so for the party that preaches freedom, 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 they definitely want government to be small enough to fit in a woman's womb, that is for sure. And there's a lot, there's a link between, I mean, abortion rights is reproductive health. I mean, all of that goes hand in hand and also economic rights as well. So V, I'm, I'm definitely gonna have to have you come back. We only have a few more minutes and I wanna, ta- I wanna talk about your book, The Reckoning. And I, you know, I was starting to read some expert excerpts and it's part memoir, part political treatise. Why did it take over 40 years to come to life? Well, you know, I think it was during COVID that I suddenly 
I think it was really the beginning of what I hope would be our reckoning, right? I mean, in a lot of different directions, we were beginning to look at what I thought was the incredible lack of infrastructure in this country, which COVID made bare, right? The fact that we have no healthcare, the fact that we don't care about our nurses, the fact that we don't care about poor people and black and brown people and the struggling people who didn't have any access to healthcare, it, it revealed all the terrible things that happened and were instigated by the diabolical nine minutes, public minutes of a knee on the neck of George Floyd. It showed us the fires that were happening in California and the, and the breathless birds that were falling out of the sky. We saw what our country was. We saw the history we haven't examined. We saw the, 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 the story of this country that still remains unexamined and unprocessed, right? And unreckoned with. And for me, um, I was not a frontline worker. I was lucky in that I'm a writer and I, I was locked up in my own house, but I was also locked up with myself and my thoughts and my past and, and nostalgia and where I was responsible and wrong in my own life. And I thought, we are in a time of reckoning. We are in a time of reckoning. And as much as the right wants to push back and try to say we're not going to have black African American studies and we're not going to teach critical race theory and we're going to ban mm -hmm. books, it's happening. It's gonna it is happening. Both <laughs> definitely, certainly, we are going to have you back. Definitely, a lot of reckoning to be to take place both in this in this country and also in the world, and we cannot wait. You all, that book is available on January the thirty first, and V takes us through her own personal journey and gathers us up to the present moment. V, you are such a blessing to the oh, entire the world. Best. You're the best. I, I, I say how happy I am you are in this world. Lovely, I appreciate you as well. And thank you so much for all of your support. And I hope that I can join you. The Reckoning, everybody, make sure you pick it up. Now, you know what I want you to do about this time? I want you to keep the faith. Always, always keep the faith. But you got to marry, you got to couple that faith with a little bit of fight. Until next time, sending you so much love. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.